Good morning. Yeah, let's get those lights on so we can see our Bibles. Amen? Let's get a word open to Colossians 4. And um, I'm going to put uh, five words up on the screen here. And I want you to read and simply think about these words for a moment. Death, conflict, loss, pain, and suffering. A people that you know, people in your life right now, are at this very moment experiencing the harsh reality behind those five words. And, and no doubt, because you're also human, you can relate because we all live in the same broken world that is able to be described by these uh, five words, a world shattered by the effects of sin. And we know that this world is, is, is not getting better. It's not going to get better. And life will continue to be hard. The only difference that really exists between two people going through such a thing is that some will have Christ and some will not. The only difference between us and many of the people that you know, and when I say us, us as believers, those who know Christ, and those who are outside of the faith, and that's a phrasing that Paul uses in this passage, is that we will experience these crushing realities differently. We will experience them with Christ, to borrow the phrase again that we find in chapter 3 of this letter, Christ who is our life. And that, in fact, makes all the difference. Now, if we have a different way of navigating these five words, navigating the world that is characterized by these five words, what will we do with that? What will we do with the fact that we have Christ as our life? Will we tell those outside of the faith who are also experiencing these things, will we tell them about him? Well, in today's passage, Paul, of course, is nearing the end of the letter. You have your Bibles open in front of you, so you know we're coming to the, to, to the last few things that Paul is saying. And he offers some closing thoughts around prayer and mission. And as Christians in the world, we have to listen to what he's saying to ramp up our prayer life and to ensure that we are indeed on mission for him. This is a, a call for us. This is the appeal of our faith, an appeal to God in prayer and an appeal to those outside the faith with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for those of you who are savvy in all things harvest, you know that, that we're really hitting two of our four pillars in this message, the pillar of prayer and the pillar of witness. And of course, a couple of weeks ago, we hit on the pillar of word and the pillar of worship. So we've hit all four in the last few messages. And so that's what we're going after here today. This is in Colossians 4, 2 to 6, just a short few verses here. You follow along your Bible as I read this. Colossians 4, 2. Paul writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear 
which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. All right, in your notes on the screen, you're going to see this. Christ is my life. We're talking to believers here. Letters written to believers in Colossae. Christ is my life, and so I will, first of all, pray for opportunities to witness. Now, prayer as a spiritual discipline is, in a general sense, what every Christian ought to be doing. You ought to have a a prayer life before the Lord. You ought to be in conversation with the Lord constantly. And, And the first bit of this, the first verse of this, really, of the passage today, is a general appeal to simply pray. He says, verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Uh, Many other translations have this verse starting with devote yourself to prayer, devote yourself to it. And and it comes with the force of of an imperative or a command. Uh, So prayer can't ever be seen as an add-on to the Christian's life. It's not, a, it's not an optional, you know, you get your car and you can pick out some options and I love a sunroof. Anybody love a sunroof? I love the sunroof, okay? It's not an optional sunroof, okay? Prayer is the drivetrain. And I'm going to say that like I know things about cars. Okay, <laughs> prayer is the drivetrain, okay? It's not an optional feature. It's standard equipment. In fact, without the drivetrain, as I understand it, I'm just going by what the name says, the car doesn't even go. You're not even going as a Christian. You can't make any progress whatsoever if you're not praying. That's why Paul says it the way he says it. We have a phrase that we use here. If we don't pray, nothing else matters. If we don't pray, nothing else matters. All the programming, the nice building, all the staff, all the busyness that's going on here, every ministry that we're doing, none of it matters at all if we're not praying. And that pillar of ours uh, says that we believe firmly in the power of prayer. It's prayer that shows our dependence on God. And it's so easy for a church like us. Let's recognize the danger. It's so easy for a church like ours to default into working for Jesus without talking to Jesus. We can be so busy at this. And we can fill the calendar and we can put on a really good show with with everything that we're doing. But if there's no prayer behind it, what's the sense? And we know, we know what this is. This, is. this is a syndrome called the Mary Martha syndrome, isn't it? It's the Mary Martha syndrome. That we're so busy, busy, busy that we're not pausing to talk to the Lord about the things that we're doing. And the answer uh, comes to us uh, in this way. And it, it was either Ignatius or, uh, or Augustine, or we're not sure exactly who it was that said it, but it's attributed to both of them. No one really knows who actually said it, but here it is. Work as if everything depends on the working and pray as if everything depends on the praying. And that should be the character of our church. That should be the character of every Christian. I'm going to work as if everything depends on the working, and I'm going to pray as if everything depends on the praying. And so that, to use 
these other translations. That's what we should be devoted to. That's what we should be continuing steadfastly in this matter of prayer. In fact, this phrase, continue steadfastly, means, uh, one lexicon put it this way, to continue to do something, to continue to do something with intense effort, with the possible implication of doing it despite difficulty. Now, I just read that, I just kind of chuckled at this definition because I think, I personally think prayer is the hardest thing we do as Christians. How many people are with me on that? Like prayer is the hardest thing we do. And, and so I read that and I go, this definition, and I, I go, yes, that nails it. I'm, I'm, it. The possible implication of doing something despite difficulty, no, it's absolutely difficult. This is so hard. And yet we're receiving this imperative to pray. We have to work at this. We have to develop this discipline. So he starts out, general call to prayer. That's the first verse. Everyone should be praying. And then he gets specific at the first part of verse three. Notice what he says. At the same time, or while you're praying, okay, you're going to be praying, add us to your prayer list. Pray also for us. Specifically, he says, that God may open to us a door for the word, a door for the message. And he writes that in his commentary, this is the door that allows the word of God into the hearts, minds, and lives of people and communities. We want a door open to ministry. We want a door open to mission. We want a door open to opportunities to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and witness to him. And we all need prayer for more opportunities to tell people what Jesus did. And then to plant churches so we can tell more people about what Jesus did. And Paul's on that exact mission. He's on mission. He's preaching the gospel in new communities that have never heard the word of God. And he's planting churches for those believers to be a part of. And he's building a prayer network that's helping him do that. He's asking the people in Colossae, would you pray for me that more opportunities would be given to me to do the exact thing that I've been given to do? And he asks him to pray because, he, pray because he knows that's where the power is. It's not just about his ability to preach or his courage in going into new areas or, 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 or his evangelistic techniques. It's about the power of prayer. And so, and so let's get really practical for us for a moment. Let's think about if we were asking others to pray or if we were building our own prayer list, let's call it a gospel opportunities prayer list. Let's build that list out. And I'm just going to give you a sample of the things that we could put on such a list. But these are all real examples of things that are already within our sphere, already some things that we're doing, some things that we're on the cusp of doing again because we're just getting ready to go into a new ministry season. What should we be praying for going into September? What are some things we're thinking about in terms of, of mission beyond us with our partners? Just a sampling of these things. And so a gospel opportunity prayer list, pulling the phrase right out of the text, God open 
to us a door for the word in London. You've all met Leo Close, and he preached the first three messages in this series, and he, he has a heart to plant Sojourn Church in London, Ontario. We need to be praying for London, Ontario. We need to be praying for Alliston. We have a candidate that we're talking to right now who's going to be the pastor of the Alliston campus of this church. We want to launch that early in 2024. We need to pray about that opportunity to launch that church. We, we want to pray for our partners, our longtime partners in the uh, West, uh, Central West African country of Cameroon, in Yaoundé and, and, and Douala, that those churches would continue to grow, that they would have a heart to find other church planters and reach other Cameroonian cities. We need to pray for our longtime partners in Glasgow, at Harvest Glasgow and Harvest Air, where Cheryl and I just had an opportunity to be for a couple of months. We need to pray for them to continue to reach their own country for Jesus Christ. We need to pray for further opportunities in our own country, and specifically in Ontario through our Acts 29 partners, for God to build up our network and to help us plant even more churches in Ontario, specifically in urban and rural environments where the church is largely disappearing. We need to pray for our new partners in El Alto, Bolivia, through uh, Compassion and Acts 29, and Acts 29 Church, and the children that we've sponsored in that community just in the last several months, and for that church to thrive and to plant more churches. We need to, we need to pray about opportunities uh, for the gospel right here in our own city with other people groups. Uh, there was a slow trickle of people of color, people from other uh, countries who were moving to our city prior to the pandemic and during the pandemic. Uh, the floodgates were opened and people of many other nations have now come to our city and are coming to our city and they need to be reached with the gospel. And God is putting opportunities right in front of us to do just that. We, we need to pray for Simcoe County and the long vision that we have had to have a Harvest Bible Chapel in every community within a 15 or 20 minute drive of every uh, every person in Simcoe County, that's uh, Collingwood Wasega Beach and Midland Penetanguishene and Aurelia and Ram Ramera Township and down to Alliston and Innisfil. And we need to reach into all of these communities in our county with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's one list. That's just one. Ready for another one? God, open to us a door for the word in right here. Let's just think about it. Harvest kids. How many, how many of your children have come to faith in Jesus Christ through the work that is done in the north end of this building? Let's pray for our Harvest Kids workers. Let's pray for the work that is being uh, done there. Let's, uh, let's pray for our Awana program starting up in a few weeks' time on Wednesday nights, and especially for those community children that are coming. Uh, let's pray for Harvest Youth and, and Jordan as he leads uh, the, the leaders and the young people in our junior and senior high, so eager to get upstairs into the new space, newly renovated space. Let's pray for Harvest Youth this year. Let's pray for Harvest Young Adults, which is a thriving group in our church, and we're so grateful for that. Let's pray for all of these ministries of our own church. Let's pray for our live stream, that God would continue to use it to expose people outside of our church to the message of Christ. And let's pray for our in-person services as well. Here's the third list. God opened to us a door for the word with family, with friends. Now it gets personal for you, with your families. I, I, if I ask for a show of hands and I won't, I bet you there's not a single person here who doesn't have at least one family member that doesn't know Jesus. Let's pray for our family members. We have friends, we have coworkers, we have neighbors. 
Uh, There's strangers that we run into from time to time who need the message of Christ. And the bottom line on this, again, a sampling list that we can build is to make a list for yourself and start praying for God to give us opportunities to witness so that we might share the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness that also is one of our pillars. All right, that's the first point. We got some more to go here. Ready for a second one? It's one thing to pray, and it's another thing to be the answer to that prayer, that you would be the answer to that prayer. And so we have to learn how to share the message because God, we might pray, God, open up a door for our church to reach more people for Christ. And what God might do is he may open a door right in front of you. And you have to be willing to step through the opportunity that he gives to you and prepared and equipped to do so. So Paul says, when the door opens, he says, I want, verse, this is partway through verse three, he says, I want to declare the mystery of Christ. Now the mystery, of, he calls it the mystery of Christ, but the mystery of Christ isn't a mystery anymore. It's been revealed to be Jesus that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. That's the mystery. This was a mystery proclaimed by the prophets of old, the prophets of the Old Testament, who pointed to an unknown Savior who was the Messiah of Israel, who, who was in the line of David, but that's as much as they knew. But now we know him to be Jesus Christ, the one born of Mary, whose mission was lived out in the open and revealed to us. That's the mystery. It's it's Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, verse 4. And Paul adds this, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. That is to say, you and I ought to be able to offer to anyone who asks, to any opportunity that's put in front of us, we ought to be able to say the exact same thing, to say something clear, to offer a clear explanation of the gospel to someone who has not yet heard it or received it. And Paul's asking for this for himself, obviously. He's asking them to pray that he would walk through the door and he would be clear in his presentation of the mysteries of Christ. But in the last two verses, which we'll look at in a few moments, we're going to see that this applies to his readers as well, that he's not the only one on mission, but they too are called to be on this mission, just as we are. So the uncomfortable question here today, because I've already set you up by saying, I think prayer is the hardest thing we do. But maybe telling other people about Jesus is actually the hardest thing that we have to do. But the thing is, it's not hard at all because we just don't do it. Do you think, or would I say, maybe I'll say it this way, do you know how to share the gospel with someone else? We talk often here, three little phrases, two of them more commonly and one we introduced more recently, but these phrases, uh, come and see. Here's different ways that you can share the gospel, different approaches to this. And and I think this first one, come and see, is is the least difficult. It's, It's you just invite someone to come and it's based... In John's gospel, John chapter 1, uh, Philip invites Nathaniel to come and see Jesus. Come and see. The phrase is right in the scripture, right in the gospel. Come and see a man who told me all about myself. And, and so Philip didn't tell him the story of Jesus. Philip just brought Nathaniel to Jesus. And a lot of you do that. You invite your friends. There are people sitting in the room. 
who were once invited to be here by someone else. They didn't know Jesus. They came, they found Jesus here. So come and see. Come and see. Uh, Here's a second one. Go and tell. This one's pretty obvious. This one's harder for us, though. Uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Acts 1, 8, both express to us the great commission that every Christian has been given to go and make disciples of all nations, go and be his witnesses to all the world. Go and tell. There are times when, when there are some people who, who they won't come. Missionaries obviously have to go into certain places. That's what Paul was doing. He's going to places that had never heard the gospel. He's going and telling them. There's always times when we might have to go and tell. There are always people who won't accept our invitation to come here. We might have to go to them and tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Both of these are very legit means of introducing people to Jesus. And again, again, more recently, we've talked about a third one, which I've actually just changed the phrasing on this a little bit, but stop and share. Stop and share. Come and see, go and tell, stop and share. Because there are times when the opportunity just comes right in front of you and you face a decision in that moment to stop, pause, whatever else you're doing, and to share the gospel with that person. Not inviting them here for me to do it. You're not having to go directly to where they are. It's just an opportunity that presents itself to you. It might be at a coffee shop or across the kitchen table or, or, or at work in the, in the break room. But it's an opportunity to stop and share because the opportunity has come right to you and you have to do it. So if you had to share the gospel with an unbeliever right at this very moment, Would you be able to? Would you be able to make it clear? Because Paul says that's how you ought to speak, he says. And by make it clear, I mean by that an unencumbered explanation, an unencumbered explanation of the gospel. Nothing added, nothing subtracted. And in the last few years, here's what I'm going to say to us. Nothing different than what I've said on several other occasions, but, but in the last several years, there have been a lot of Christians who have, a lot, who have added a lot of things to the gospel, and they've made the gospel confusing for people in our culture. What are Christians really about? And we need to return to, we need to forget about some of the things that we've added on to the gospel just in the last several years, and listen, we need to get back to the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, and what exactly is that? Nothing added, nothing subtracted. Uh, nothing new here. I've, I've um, presented these before. These are all very common. You can find all of these on the web in various forms. But uh, several ways to explain the gospel. The first one is the ABC acronym, admit, believe, confess. Okay, uh, Admit that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and then confess Him as your Lord, ABC. Uh, I actually used that uh, two weeks ago in, in the message. The second one is the Romans Road. And here's some, uh, some verses that you would just walk through all in the book of Romans. You just bang, bang, bang through these six verses. Again, you can find the Romans Road, explain an, any number of websites, different verse combinations, but Romans 3.23, uh, Romans 5.12, Romans 5.8, Romans 6.23, and then into chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and then caps it off with 10.13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the Romans Road. 
Explain that to people. Write it into your Bibles. Just write the first verse in, Romans 3.23, then write the next verse reference beside it and just work through the book of Romans explaining that to someone. Uh, Another one is called the bridge to God. Fourth one is the four spiritual laws. We talked about that one not long ago. And then a fifth one, which is the one that we emphasize in our own on our own website, this is the one we talk about most often, is the five gospel words. The five gospel words are God, sin, substitution, believe, and life. And the link to that is in the notes. And we start under the premise that there is a God. And I believe, despite the fact that there are quite a number of people who would try to deny that there is a God, Uh, that we all have this innate sense that there is a God in the world, the divine spark that's in us, the sense of the divine. Our sin, however, the second word, stands between us and the God who made us, and we have no hope whatsoever of overcoming our personal sin debt. So the answer to that is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who took on flesh and became like us, but who never sinned, who was perfect in every way, gave his life, here's the third word, as a substitute for us, taking our punishment on himself by submitting to crucifixion and death, thus making forgiveness possible. And if we would believe that he did just that, that he not only gave his life but was raised from the dead, If we believe that by faith, acknowledging our sin, exercising simple faith in Him, then God will give us life because He was raised from the dead. He conquered death and the grave, and He offers us life eternal and abundant if only we would believe. Just knowing that, That's enough to sit down with someone. Five words. You just have five words written down. You could take them to the website. You could pull it up on your smartphone and show them and just walk through the words. And there's a much fuller explanation there than what I've even given you here. And what I love is that there are some people in this room who have done that. There are people here who have been courageous, who have learned it and internalized it and and know when God has put an open door in front of them and have stepped through it. So the question here at this point in the message is, will you take some time to learn one of these methods, to write notes in your Bible or have them in your phone or have links available? Will you do that? Will you practice it? Will you be ready to share the gospel when God opens the door of opportunity? for you this week. It would be awesome if it always worked. And it would be awesome if when we did share, and even if it didn't work, that there wasn't any cost to it. But that's not the reality. So even as I'm encouraging you to go ahead and learn this and to pray for opportunities that that would come your way, I got to tell you, thirdly, listen, you have to assume the risks of doing so because there are risks. Paul's mission, for his part, landed him, look at the, at, the, at the end of verse 3, that landed him in jail. He was in prison for being a Christian, more than once, in fact. We know from other passages uh, that he faced uh, beatings, uh, deprivation, hunger, danger of all kinds from weather and thieves, government officials, 
We know that eventually uh, he was executed uh, in Rome for being a Christian. So, so high risk to be a Christian in the first century. But not just in the first century. We have a family in our church now. They've been with us for several months now, about, uh, about eight or nine months. And they had to flee their Muslim-majority country, their home country. They know they can never go back to that country because they love Jesus Christ and are committed to the gospel. Beyond having to flee their home country, they spent 10 years as refugees in, a, in another country, including time separated from one another in various detention centers, overcrowded and disease-ridden detention centers. Finally, after a decade, our country welcomed them in. And they have to come here now, starting from scratch, with nothing. It's not likely that any of us are going to face something like that. In a Canadian context, what are we talking about? Paul went to prison, was beaten, lost his life. This family lost everything, 10 years spent in detention, never being able to go back to their home country again. But what are we going to face? What are we talking about here? What, what are the risks for us? You're going to lose a friend? You're going to alienate some family members? It's going to mean some awkward conversations with people. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll lose your job. Maybe you'll be passed over for promotion. Maybe you won't get invited to the neighborhood barbecue. I mean, how does that even stack up? I mean, let's consider what we're, we're not willing to risk for this mission that we're commanded to be on. To, to, to really punctuate the point, let's, let's hear what Jesus had to say about it. Matthew 10, 37 to 39. I don't want to alienate my family by witnessing. I don't want to lose any friends over it. I don't want to lose my job over it. Jesus said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus is always so loving and always says such nice things to everybody. Jesus just accepts everybody all the time. Whoever finds his life, in other words... Whoever makes it about them keeps all the things they have, never risks anything. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, my mission, my gospel, will find it. If Christ is my life, I'll be willing to assume the risk. And that's going to be based to a large extent on the fact, notice this next, that I have a heart for those outside the gospel. 
I have a heart for those. It's, it's more than just the fact that Christ has commanded me to do this. It's that I genuinely care about the people around me who don't know Jesus. I'm willing to share the gospel and risk because I love people. I don't want anybody to be without Christ. Tony Marina makes this point in his uh, great little book, Love Your Church. Evangelism is first and foremost about our hearts, not our methods. Now, I've just shared with you a bunch of methods. We should learn the methods, but it can't be about the methods. He says the how-to is important, but the lack of want-to is often the most obvious problem. So sometimes, really what's happening here is, is that we shy away from walking through the doors of opportunity to share the message because we're gripped by, at, at best, timidity. We're just too timid. At worst, fear. Or because we've tried and failed and faced repercussions from doing so. But we have to see the plight of sinners and we have to have a heart for those outside the gospel. This, this is where Paul turns it away from them praying for his mission, and, and he turns it and tells them that, that this is their mission too. And, and he says to them at the start of verse 5, walk in wisdom. Live your life wisely. Walk in wisdom. Live your life wisely with respect to, quote, unquote, outsiders or unbelievers, people outside the church, outside the gospel. Live the kind of life, he's saying, that's mindful of those who don't know Jesus. And it's going to play out in a couple different ways. One of those ways is how we live our lives. Because they're watching. If they, if they know you're a Christian, they're watching. And they're, they're taking mental notes of the kind of life you're living and whether that lines up or not with the things you say about Christ, or even simply your profession. And that will be, in fact, the way we live if we're living as best we can for Jesus, not perfectly, but as best we can. That's going to be the authenticating factor for the gospel we preach, as far as unbelievers are concerned. And so it has to start with the heart. It has to start with the want to. I want people to know about Jesus. This is us saying, you know, this is us saying um, what Peter said. And Peter got arrested. He was taken before the religious leaders. This is very early on after the day of Pentecost. He's in front of the religious leaders and they're grilling him and they're telling him that, that he shouldn't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And he said, this is in Acts chapter 4 and uh, verse 20, he says, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And that should be what every Christian feels. Like, I can't help but talk about Jesus. I can't help it. I love him so much. I know how much it will mean to you if you would receive him as your Lord and Savior as well. That was, that was Peter. Or the Apostle Paul. This is in Acts chapter 20. And he's, he's left Ephesus. He's in Miletus, he's ready to hop on a boat and go to Jerusalem. Every, almost everybody says, that's a bad idea, Paul. You're going to get arrested if you go to Jerusalem. But he's going to get on a boat and go there. He says, I'm going. I'm going. Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that 
imprisonment and afflictions await me, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's not just the apostles' mission. That's my mission, and that's yours. So if that's, that's your heart, if you say, like, that's what I want, that's what I want, then you'll want to be, as Paul says next here, back to Colossians, he says this in verse 5, making the best use of the time. This is that my high school's motto was carpe diem. Um, so, you know, the, the bad version of carpe diem is uh, live, dr- drink, eat, drink, and be merry. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. It's, it's the motto of hedonism. The, the good sense of carpe diem is seize the moment. Now, in my high school, I wasn't sure which one they were talking about, honestly, because there was a lot of hedonistic activity in my high school. But, but there was this set. I, I would presume that the faculty meant it to be seize the moment, seize the day, or seize the opportunity that's in front of you. And that's the spirit behind what Paul is saying, making the best use of time. Seize the moment. Several other translations of the King James Version or New King James Version has redeeming the time here. And it is, in fact, a commercial term, a merchant term. It means to buy up. You know, everything's on sale. This, it's on sale right now. We're going to go and buy it up. We're going to buy up as much tomato soup as we can. It's on sale. We're going to have rows and rows in the pantry downstairs that we never go to. We're going to have rows and rows of tomato soup. We're going to buy it all up. Well, in this case, time, time is on sale. And I'm going to take every last bit of resource I have to buy as much time as I can for the sake of declaring the word to outsiders. And I'm going to steward and I'm going to manage That time, those minutes, those hours, those days, those years, which are really the moments of my life, the time that God has given to me, I'm going to leverage all of that for the sake of his mission. I mean, that means a radical departure. I mean, that's a little bit easier for me to say because I get a paycheck to be a pastor, to be a, I'm a professional Christian, it's what I do. But this applies to people who don't get a paycheck for being a Christian. I'm just being silly right now. You know what I'm saying. (laughs) You're a full-time Christian in your neighborhood. You're a full-time Christian in your workplace. Every one of those minutes that your employer is paying you for, those are gospel minutes. Every minute you're out cutting your grass or shoveling your driveway or, or, or interacting in your neighborhood, talking to one of your friends, someone you know, all of those minutes count for the gospel, for the kingdom of God. I'm buying up all the minutes for Jesus. And I'm going to use it all for his glory. And so two critical aspects of this question is to ask yourself. Number one, am I living a life that complements the spread of the gospel? Is my life measuring up? We talked about that first. And then am I using my time such that it shows that this is a priority for me? Because having this heart, this is the heart of the Christian. This is the normal Christian life. 
And it's going to play out not only in your witness, it plays out in all kinds of ways, but not only in your witness, but in your service and in your prayers, as we've already seen. You're going to spend minutes, minutes that you've bought up. I'm going to spend them on prayer. I'm going to pray for all these people who don't know Jesus. I'm spending them in this way. You're going to spend them in your desire to grow in the knowledge of God and in His Word. You're going to spend time in the Word, learning more about the gospel so you can share it with others. You're going to spend it in terms of your generosity toward the mission, funding the mission with your resources. All of this speaks to your heart. If Christ is your life, you're going to want to do this. And finally this, ready for the last one? I will communicate this gospel with grace and truth. I had a a coffee with a member this week, and we talked about this very issue of grace and truth in the context of sharing the gospel. There's a lot of ways that this plays out, but in the context of sharing the gospel, and I, I told him that some of the things that I've done in witnessing, and again, I've known Jesus for 44 years. So I came to Christ in my mid-teen years, and I was involved uh, initially with an organization, the Salvation Army, that was very active in outreach. And so I had lots of very different, varied opportunities, and all of them very much confrontational styles of evangelism. So I've, I've preached and visited in prisons and in psych hospitals and in regular hospitals, and I've preached on street corners, and I've, I've gone door to door, knocked on doors, and sought to have gospel conversations with people. I've done all of that, all of that confrontational style, I'll call it, of declaring the mystery of Christ. But what's challenging about those methods is that they communicate the truth, they communicate the truth but without any pre-existing relationship with the people you're sharing with, it's a truth that's often shared without grace. I'm merely a stranger who's preaching to them, and they're not exactly sure why. It's just hard to see the grace. And I'm not saying that those methods are ineffective, and there's certainly a, a time and a place for that, but maybe they're less effective, and maybe they're not the thing that most of us are called to. What Paul's advocating here is something more relational, something more thoughtful, something more tactful. What we're seeing here is is actually rooted in that description of Jesus that we have in John's Gospel, John chapter 1, verse 14, where Jesus is described as being full of grace and truth. That's the phrase, full of grace and truth. But the full of is modifying both grace and truth. And so the phrase is really, Jesus was full of grace and also full of truth. He was full of both of those things. And Christians on mission should aim to be all in on the truth without compromising grace, but we should also be all in on grace without compromising the truth. And the challenge is, if we were to go through the room right now, we'd find that people tend to be more, I'm more of a grace person, and other people tend to be more of a truth person. And it's hard to find a person who's full of both of these things. In fact, Jesus was the only one. It's just too easy to tip one way or another. Grace people, by the way, when it comes to the gospel, grace people tend to be, oh, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to share. You know, they, they are living their life, and so I never share anything because I'm so filled with grace. I don't want to offend or hurt anybody. And the truth people are out there just hammering out the truth, just delivering the gospel, and they don't care at all about how people feel. And they're offending people all over the place. 
too easy to tip one way or the other. We need to be full of grace and full of truth. And that's what Paul is saying here as he continued to spur them on to be witnesses. He says, verse 6, let your speech, let your talking about the truth always be, what's the word? Gracious. Let your speaking about the truth always be gracious. And then he uses this little phrase, we'll come back to it in a moment, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer or convey the truth to each person. So you would know how to do it in a grace-filled way. So this is going to speak to tonality and sensitivity and, and, and even our attitude behind our method. We want to share the truth of the gospel in a grace-filled and winsome way. The salt thing, back to that, the salt thing, it was a literary phrase common at the time to speak to how you would communicate something. And it's captured well by David Garland in his commentary. He says this, seasoned with salt was used to refer to witty, amusing, clever, humorous speech. Their saltiness will prevent them from being ignored as irrelevant bores. Godliness is not to be equated with stodginess. Flat formulas or lifeless platitudes do not capture the gospel's excitement. It must be made palatable with a savory combination of charm and wit. That's what it means seasoned with salt. We're supposed to present the gospel in a life-giving, winsome way. As salt is to food, so your speech should be, your attitude should be in your presentation of the gospel, interesting, enjoyable, appetizing, desirable. And perhaps the best way to do that, in a way that makes it pretty hard for someone you're talking to to dispute, you might share the five gospel words with them or the ABCs or the Romans Road or the Bridge to Life or the Four Spiritual Laws. You may share one of those with a person and then move into the simple telling of your own story. How can anyone dispute what God has done for you? Tell your story of coming to faith what, what could be more filled with grace and truth than your own story? Tell them that Christ is your life. Tell them how He's walked with you all your years through every bit of death and conflict and loss and pain and suffering. And tell them with joy and excitement that there's an answer to all of that brokenness. And tell them that His name is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, You have been uh, so kind in saving us. I'm praying on behalf of those who have indeed already come to faith in Christ. You've shown us your grace in the delivery of your truth. We've confessed our sin. You've saved us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, you've commissioned every one of us to go and tell the world. And so, God, I pray that we would do just that. I'm, I'm going to pray something very specific for every person who's in the room here who's a believer, every person on the live stream right now who's a believer that God would put at least one 
unmistakable, undeniable, unavoidable gospel opportunity in front of us this week. For everyone who loves Jesus, who's hearing my voice right now, a door of opportunity will open. And God, I pray that you would give each one of us determination, strength leading by the Holy Spirit to be able to step through that door and seize that moment to redeem the time. Father, we might hear stories next Sunday. I got to share the gospel with my friend. I, I told my coworker about Jesus. I invited someone to come and see. Father, I pray that you would do that work. Father, we can plant seeds. We can till the soil. We can water it. But Father, you're the one who gives the growth. So we commit this to you now. Help us to be on mission for you this week. We pray in Christ's name.